Thank you for joining the Underground Playground podcast with your hosts, Steve and Mike. We're bringing you the voices and the personalities of the physical culture world, so listen up. I'll just be... Hello, guys and girls. This is Steve Bowser from the Underground Playground podcast. I am based out of the Playground Gym, also known as Brower CrossFit, here in Fort Lauderdale area of Florida. My co-host is a good friend of mine, Mike Manning. Mike, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, guys. This is Mike, and I'm talking to you from Melbourne, Florida. And we're getting ready to do this other podcast. Tell us who we got today, Steve. So today we got a special guest, Alex Vieta. He is from Complete Human Performance. And he is pretty amazing, some of his stats. So I kind of was following Alex for several years now, kind of, that's what you got to love social media for is because you see some of this stuff on social media and you see some of these stats and it's, and it kind of, you know, piqued my interest, kind of reached out to him, talked to him a few times, even considered maybe trying to host some kind of a seminar down here, uh, which we never got around to doing. But uh, since we started the podcast, I reached out to Alex to invite him on so we can kind of chat it up and um, just kind of get some, try to get some knowledge out of him. And how is this guy squatting over 700 pounds and, and being an ultra marathon runner and running four minute and change miles. I mean, that to me is uh, pretty exciting. So uh, we're going to get Alex on and, and uh, we're going to, we're going to chat it up. And Alex Vieta uh, is on with us now. Uh, just want to introduce Alex, just go ahead and introduce yourself and um, kind of t- give us the quick rundown. Like where, Give us some background on your uh, training, like where you started. I know you just moved uh, yeah. out to, out west, so just kind of give us a quick rundown, and then we'll start throwing some questions at you. Sure, yeah. Um, let's see. You know, kind of a lifelong athlete, um, pretty pretty much got thrown into a variety of pretty much every sport that I could think of uh, back through, you know, elementary, middle school, high school. Um, you know, training, doing different things, just being, being not – completely devoted to any one sport, but just be kind of being able to enjoy multiple sports and kind of do whatever I wanted was sort of the, uh, sort of the name of the game back then. Um, You know, going through college, didn't play well enough at anything, uh, went to a D one school. So kind of fell out of it and uh, got back into strength sports, really just powerlifting uh, right after college, did that for a couple years. And uh, I think after getting uh, challenged to do a 5k, realized that I had some serious gaps in my fitness to the point where, (laughs) I felt like death going about 400 meters. Yeah. Um, didn't like sucking at things. So, you know, at that point on, it was back in 2007. Since then, kind of been, uh, you know, fits and starts with some successes, some failures, uh, really s- devoting my personal training and then my, you know, training of others and coaching of others towards developing, you know, concurrent athletics uh, con- or, you know, hybrid training, whatever people want to call it. Right. And that's what we do. I run a company of about uh, 20 different coaches, all different backgrounds, powerlifting, mm-hmm. ultra marathons, triathlon. And our whole point is really just devoted to developing this kind of all around athleticism. Right. And, um, it's, you know, I know we were chatting a little bit right before we started. What a, what a kind of cool movement it's been seeing this whole concept kind of grow. Yeah. And um, just, I'm glad to be such a, such a solid part of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. It's, it's, you know, what I noticed is like, you know, when, when, when uh, some of these old school strength coaches see guys like you that are able, you know, at, at one point in your career, you're able to squat over 700 pounds and you're doing ultra marathons, you're running miles at four minutes and change. It kind of goes against a lot of their theories of 
how the hell can you get stronger and get more endurance? And, and at, at the same time, they, it was always like you have to kind of pick or choose which one you want because uh, it was a pendulum. And same with bodybuilding, you know, either you were bulking or you were getting ripped and ready for a show. You can't, you can't lose fat and put on muscle at the same time. And, and yeah. I think a lot of these strength coaches kind of had that same theory. And now guys like you are kind of proving it wrong. This whole CrossFit movement is kind of proving it wrong. And it's really interesting. And that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to invite you on is maybe you can kind of share some of the secrets of how, you know, you train. I mean, you know, I know you got a company with a lot of different coaches and stuff like that with availability to get coaching from you and them. So it's kind of neat. I actually know a few of the coaches and, you know, I'm pretty impressed with your uh, lineup is on, on the complete um, human performance team. So, um, you know, just, uh, just elaborate a little bit about that. Like how, how do you, how do you do it all? You know? Yeah. You know, I think the, the best part was being in this position, I was able to learn how to do everything wrong. Uh, you know, kind of when you, when I first started out, there were no expectations whatsoever. I just wanted to run a 5k and not suck at it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from then on moving to marathons, moving to everything else. I think the most interesting part of that in those early days and figuring it out was that, yeah, there was some interference, like certain, certain types of training, certain adaptations held the other ones back, but there was also advantages to each. Um, advantages in how, you know, building that general work capacity through the conditioning side of things uh, improved the lifting. You had to be able to leverage it in your strength training to take advantage of it, but it could make you become a better lifter. Um, building strength, building durability uh, for a runner through lifting helps your running, but you have to structure your running training in a form that takes advantage of that. So, you know, I think that was kind of the, the big discovery in how we do it all was finding ways that the two, two sides of the coin actually benefit each other rather than detract, because they're both. They're detractions. You know, you talk about accumulating fatigue. You talk about more traditional programs. You try to throw a Hal Higdon marathon running program on top of an aggressive 5 through one cycle or something like that, and you're going to get interference. It's just yeah. each program is kind of designed to stand on its own and maximize a certain set of adaptations. Sure. But when you structure a program that basically says, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to you know, intelligently leverage, you know, here's, here's the given fatigue on this given training session, and here's what the fatigue is going to be like for the next 48 hours. What other work can I do that allows adaptation and works around that fatigue and allows me to continue building and continue developing. So kind of hitting on that. And again, working with, working with great coaches, what makes it so, what makes it so outstanding is you can talk to an ultra running coach and say, okay, what is the systemic fatigue of this workout? And what can you do the day after a six hour trail run? What do you feel capable of doing? What do you have your athletes do? And how can I take that understanding and apply it to a power lifter or a bodybuilder? And um, that's really been kind of the, you know, there, there's no magic to what we do, but if there's anything that's kind of the secret part of the formula, that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of people uh, nowadays um, you'll, you'll see them kind of cookie cutter their programs or they'll jump back and forth between programs, depending, you know, especially in the CrossFit world, um, mm-hmm. you know, where you got somebody doing small off squat cycle and then they're doing a gymnastics program on top of it. And then they're, you know, they're training three times a day. Um, so it sounds like you've kind of figured out how to mesh those training methods together. And then you are actually saying you, you can't just layer one specific program on top of another and expect to get results across the board. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because there are a lot of overlapping stressors. I mean, you know, just to take an example, you look at a lot of cycling training programs and a cycling only aggressive training program will have strength and power days where, 
even if it's not necessarily called that, the, the bike ride itself, the training day itself will involve a lot of alactic work, involve a lot of, you know, high intensity, uh, very relatively low volume intervals. And the, the purpose of that overlaps absolutely 100% with a lot of strength training. But even some of the, the cycling coaches themselves may not necessarily think of that as an overlap. So if you incorporate those programs wholesale, you're duplicating a lot of your effort. And that's why bringing in, like doing a smaller a squat cycle, like that program is designed to push recovery pretty much to its limits if done correctly. Yeah. So you can't expect to layer more and more on there unless, first of all, you start cutting out the additional work that's not needed in the squat cycle and then saying, okay, is there anything we can do training-wise that enhances recovery? And looking at zone two training and low intensity cardiovascular training as positive recovery for strength training and looking at certain types of strength movements, certain plyometric work, ballistic work as recovery and enhancing recovery from say low intensity steady state work, being able to look at training as recovery really, really helps in the entire, you know, consolidation of stressors and developing more than one parameter. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's totally agreeable. And, uh, and, and some of the better program design out there, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's powerlifting, whether it's uh, endurance training, I mean, I think they all fall suit to exactly what you're saying. And those are the ones that are being, you know, that are turning out to be successful training protocols yep. um, and probably all learning from each other. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge OPEX fan. I mean, I'm obviously an OPEX coach and I've done all the different, uh, you know, certifications. Well, most of them anyway. And, uh, you know, same scenario, you know, and, and it's all science backed, you know, they're not just pulling us out of their ass. They're actually, just like you said, they're getting feedback from different athletes. They're actually finding out, okay, you did this, uh, you know, VO2 max test. Now let's try it again later on and see how you see where you come after the training protocol. And it's, it's been, it's been paying off dividends big time. Yeah. And it's, it, it is, it's two major things. It's, it's a, it's a lack of ego and it's data. And you have to have a lack of ego. If you think for a moment, my program is the best one out there, or, you know, here's some coach, here's some specialized coach. I can't learn anything from them. You're sunk. Yeah. Uh, just because there's so much, every sport, every athletic endeavor, uh, anybody who's spent any amount of time in the field has learned something that they can pass on something, you know, from their experience and training and being able to just listen to everybody and being able to speak different coaches languages, being able to talk to, you know, an old school running coach, and say, okay, how does this coach think about things? How do they think about recovery? How do they think about their athlete? You know, what do they do for mental recovery? Everybody has learned something that you can just borrow from shamelessly. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the level of partnership and the, I guess the level of mutual respect you see from successful CrossFit coaches, from successful people in any kind of concurrent field is, is amazing. It's, I mean, just, it, I would say that I think a lot of the coaches I speak to in CrossFit, uh, coaches who, you know, have this desire to develop multiple sport parameters, they have the least ego in that respect. They, you can't have that scarcity mindset. You've got this mindset that everyone's got something to offer. And that's, yeah. that's been huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, the funny thing is like, we're on this little secret group on Facebook. Uh, the, the, <laughs> and it's funny, there's like 80, 90 guys, uh, that are on this group and, and all different types of coaches, uh, athletes, uh, grumpy old guys, whatever, man. But, you know, you, you know, like I, I remember one time I, <laughs> I posted a picture of battling chains or battling ropes. And I mean, 
some guys are like that that just ruined my fucking day don't don't ever do that again and i'm like and it's kind of funny because i do that shit just to kind of see what they say you know but you know a lot of these guys have beliefs and a lot of these, these guys are pretty knowledgeable a lot of them are very knowledgeable and it's it's actually really fun to listen to some of them but even seeing some of the older school coaches and 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 trainers and and athletes on there they they do seem to kind of open up a little bit when it comes to doing various types of training methods and and implementing like Tom Furman, you know, he's, he's a, uh, he's on there. He, he usually posts some of his workouts and it's more lower impact stuff. That's more for uh, masters, masters, uh, not even necessarily just masters, but you know, it's kind of neat to see some of the stuff that he's putting out. Steve Schaff is, is actually the guy that actually, um, came up with the group and I want to get him on here, but he actually posts a lot of the stuff that he's doing, whether it's mm-hmm. low volume or low impact type training, because, you know, some of these guys are a little older and they're a little banged up, you know, but I do notice that even these guys that are just into the strength stuff, they're doing cardio, man. They're, they're, yeah. they're realizing that, you know, this is going to help my recovery, recovery. This is going to help me, you know, feel better and be able to move a little better because, you know, they may be banged up from heavy lifting their whole lives and they may have some injuries. So they realize, okay, like I think Steve went out and bought like an air assault bike. And yeah. you know, so it's kind of cool because everybody's kind of catching on to the most. Yeah, I heard, I heard even uh, Mark Ripito is starting to do cardio now. He's pushing sleds and stuff, believe it yeah. or not. What? Yeah. 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 Oh, oh man. I thought it was a big deal when Charles Staley came around. Oh boy! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard from him in a while. I haven't uh, he? Uh, he seemed to disappear a little bit. Are you, is he yeah. still online? Yeah, you know, we, we yeah we chatted on and off a little bit uh, over the last uh, couple of years or so. Um, you know, just about him getting back into running and a couple of other things. So, you know, it's it. I think what's interesting to me is a, a lot of people seem to have kind of no shame about coming around and basically yeah. saying, "All right, you know what." You know, I was I was wrong about this, or I've changed my mind on it. And, you know, it's funny. I've noticed, especially as a lot of guys get older, yeah. I, I'm noticing this big time. A lot of people, once they get out of their 20s, 30s, you know, get into their 40s, get into their 50s, they're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, I've been I've been really screwing myself up here. And then suddenly yeah. they realize that, you know, as they learn, as they start doing cardio, as they start doing actual, you know, mobility work and thinking about things like breathing and recovery. And suddenly, not only do they become better athletes, but everyone they coach becomes a better athlete. They say, well, why wasn't doing this all along? Yeah. You know what I've noticed too, on the other end of the spectrum is, you know, when you're talking about uh, people that have been banged up from years of athletic training or lifting um, in my practice at the gym, I I have the opposite. I have a lot of people that have been sedentary for a long time, uh, you know, overweight and they come in and, you know, I generally put them on some type of strength program. And then they ask me about, uh, cardio and i'm like well were you were you breathing hard on that last set of squats you know and they're like yeah and then you know after a little while we'll add in some more cardio but obviously you know somebody who with no athletic background or no training history behind them um leading a sedentary life they pose some different problems for a coach would you would you be able to elaborate on how you guys handle that or do you yeah i mean i can take that first you know it's um it's it's been interesting actually talking to a lot of doctors who work, um, you know, especially in weight loss. Uh, do you guys know, uh, Spencer Nadolsky? I haven't um, heard the name. Though. The name yeah. does sound familiar to me. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he, he's actually his, his area of research is specifically in obesity and the, 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 the patients he works with are all, I mean, for the most part, they're overweight, they're sedentary. And, uh, he trained with us for a while 
And uh, he said, you know, what was interesting was the training I had him doing, just kind of an all-around versatile type of training. He said, scaled would be precisely what he has a lot of his patients do. And getting them used to thinking about exercise and movement, not as strength training or endurance training, but just as exercise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he'll, he'll have the, the daily run or the daily walk be a part of the training session. He'll, he'll use the exact same principles, but just right. scale them down and just shift them to be, you know, more and more palatable, more, you know, a, a little bit easier for people to use, but it's the same concept. It's the same stressor consolidation. It's the same, you know, weekly periodization where you, you do your high intensity, low volume stuff all in one part of the week and you do your high volume, low intensity stuff in the other part of the week. And it really lets you hit more or less everything you need to, you know, to, for strength, for stability, for balance, for cardiovascular health and conditioning without crushing you at any point during the week. So yeah. it's very similar, but I don't know. It, Alex, what, what kind of like, did you actually have like a training facility that you were running uh, out of North Carolina? Mm-hmm. Um, nope. We've been, we've been virtual pretty much since we started. A bunch of okay. our coaches have facilities, okay. uh, but nope. I got you. So my question is, it doesn't really matter whether it's virtual or whether you had your own place, but uh, like, I can tell you as being an owner of a facility and program designer, the biggest issues that we have are when we program, just like you're saying, some days being a little bit less volume than other days. The problem we have is people want to come in. They want to, they want to get their ass kicked just about every day. You know where I'm going with this, right? So, you know, CrossFit, um, and it's not meant to be that way. Okay. Unfortunately, it morphed into a lot of facilities that were actually running high intensity training pretty much every day. And, and it just started really smoking people. And uh, I think it's, it's definitely changed a lot. I don't see that many gyms programming that poorly anymore. Um, I, even though I know I, Mike likes to follow main site. Um, just breaking your balls, Mike. Um, but I guess that's one of the things is I was going to ask you, do you, do you kind of see that? with your protocol that you give out to your, you know, virtual, uh, I don't know if you call it the remote athletes or whatever. Do you, do you see pushback? Do they, do they kind of like give you a return um, email saying, Hey, I felt good. I, I went all out or they felt great. And, and I see it even with powerlifting, you know, you're like, <laughs> you're like, Hey, we're deloading this week. And, <clears throat> and then you see them in the gym and they're hitting friggin' PRs. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. what? I, I swear to God, there's a kid in my gym. He must max out every freaking two weeks. And I'm like, bro, if you really give yourself more recovery, you know, and follow a more strict program, you're going to, you're going to probably do even better. And the, guy, the kid's doing pretty good. But every once in a while, he disappears for a couple weeks because guess why? He fucking hurt himself. Yeah. You know? He doesn't tell anybody. Yeah. Doesn't tell yeah. anybody, but, you know. Yeah. Well, the, I, the, the best is when that, you're gonna, yeah, go ahead, sir. Yeah, and do you see that as well, like pushback with your remote athletes? Yeah, and you know, it, it's funny because after a while you get better at kind of finding it. You know, you, you kind of track them on Instagram. And <laughs> okay, let's see what you actually did. Yeah. Uh, so we get a lot of that. But, um, you know, it's, it's been interesting that, um, you know, I, I think the, the population that knows that they're going to benefit from remote coaching tends to be a little more adherent. Um, you know, because they, they're specifically coming out and they're paying for a service where they're thinking, okay, if I'm going to maximize this, I'm going to do exactly what they say. And it's funny because when I first started out and our prices were a lot lower, there was really piss poor compliance. 
Yeah. yeah. People would just say, ah, you know, yeah, you know, I kind of, I followed your workout Monday. I know Tuesday was supposed to be an easy run. I just PR'd my 5K and you're like, well, but, there's uh, that, yeah, yeah that, that whole psychology behind value, yeah. um, you know, when, number one, when, when you charge more, you're going to attract a more serious clientele. And number two, the ones that do pay more are going to absolutely find more value in it and treat it as if it was a good thing for them and they're going to take advantage of it. Well, that's, like I said, the people who seek out online coaching anyway tend to be a little more proactive because they're thinking, okay, all I need is the program. But, um, you know, because we do do a lot of seminars. We work with a lot of coaches who have primarily in-person athletes. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's interesting talking to them as well because they they talk about the same thing. They say, well, you know, I can't just program a 60-minute zone two jog, uh, you know, for the workout of the day. Nobody's going to come in for that. You know, right. If the endurance day, everyone comes in on the powerlifting day or like, you know, the max clean day and everybody just skips out on the endurance day. So one of the things we do with people is we have them be able to like earn certain, you know, for example, um, I say like, you know, the, you earn your intensity work. Yeah. Uh, one of the gyms we uh, we've worked with in the past, they basically say, okay, everybody's, everybody's homework is to get two and a half to three hours of zone two work in this week. If you can prove that you did that via your Garmin or Strava or Fitbit or whatever else, you earn the right to come in and max next to interesting. That's really, that's really, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I like that. It's, and it's worked really well because people like they'll, they'll build up and they'll say, look, you know, I I tracked my 14 hours or my 16 hours this month. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, you know, you guys for the next strength cycle, you guys are actually going to be able to hit your maxes on Tuesday. If you right. don't, you got to start from scratch. And it really does, like, you know, obviously they said certain people will, you know, put their Fitbit on and just kind of drive around for a while. But <laughs> for the same, you know, for the same token, they said it really works because it gets people into the idea of understanding that there's, there's a purpose to this. And they say, look, you know, I, I really love it because to get in my two hours this weekend, I had to go out to the park and, you know, walk the dog or whatever else. And they say, you know, I felt so much better afterwards. And we say, that's why we're making you do it. Yeah. Do you, do you think that people uh, like tend towards doing? Well, we know that they do. They tend towards doing the things that they like or the things that they're, that they're good at. And as a coach, you have to um, kind of lead them in a different direction and make them kind of suffer a little bit and yeah. work at the things they suck at. So I really like that tactic of making them earn. Like Charles Poliquin, you know, he says you have to earn your carbs, right? Yeah. So these guys have to earn their intensity. That's a yeah. great approach. Yep. And it's funny because people do, they, they gravitate towards what they're, they're good at, but the fun of working with so many of these, you know, kind of concurrent crossover athletes is a lot of them, a lot of the people we start working with, they've been burned out by their primary sport, whatever they've been doing. One of the reasons they come to us, they say, look, I just, I can't compete anymore. Or, you know, I just don't have the love for powerlifting that I used to, or I don't have the the love for, you know, marathons that I used to. God knows why right. people have love for marathons to begin with. Hey. So they say, hey, we want to try something different. So when they come to us, they fully recognize that whatever it is that we want them to do, they probably suck at. And what's kind of cool about that, though, is when the programming is done right, the progress they see is so tremendous that the, the fact that they're doing things, you know, we'll set objectives. They say, oh, I want to do this race next month. We'll say, just do it. And it, it gets people very much into the whole idea of, okay, I'm not winning anything yet. But I'm doing things that I never thought myself capable of. And you start to lodge those wins. And suddenly, even if somebody is out there running 12-minute miles and still, you know, objectively is bad at it, to them, it's something that's so novel. It's something that's so exciting that all they see is their progress. You know, because these, it's, it is such a mental load off when you're given permission to suck. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, a lot of people will put, 
you know, tell people, hey, just, you know, enter a, a weightlifting meet or enter a powerlifting meet or enter a, a CrossFit, you know, a local competition um, just to kind of push them towards that performance, you know, like kind of chasing performance a little bit. And uh, nine out of 10 times, they're, they're afraid to get out of their comfort zone, whether, you know, they feel like they're going to fail at it. And being able to give per people permission to fail, I think psychologically, if you can do that as a coach, then you'll get your biggest uh, gains with people. Right. Yeah, because um, the whole thing about comfort zones, I mean, and that's so much of what we do, you know, it's, it's funny because we'll have a 300-pound strongman out there, you know, training for a 10K. And <laughs> the thing is, he feels so far out of his comfort zone, but you know, the, the level of support you see at events for that kind of thing is just phenomenal. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the best things as a coach is being able to say, yeah, you know, go show up and go do it. Somebody goes to their first weightlifting meet, somebody goes to their first 10 K suddenly they see that this is a community that just, they just care that they're there doing it. Yeah. And I think mentally for them, that's such a, again, it's, it's, it's not only being given permission to suck, but it's basically being told that, you know, you can, you can come out, you can be a part of something different and you're just going to get encouragement. This is a good. Have you ever, have you ever like had someone that wanted to do a competition or, you know, they wanted to run a marathon or a half marathon? Have you ever been in a situation where you just kind of like had to tell them, listen, you're not ready? Um, because, you know, that goes two ways. I mean, I, I hate to, I've had it. I've had someone that really wanted to do a competition and I wasn't trying to be mean or rude, but I just kind of like said, listen, you're, you're not ready. Don't go out there and embarrass yourself. You know, even though that's, it's not all about winning, but I don't want you to just feel like, you know, you're not able to complete the movements and do the movements wrong. And to be honest with you, it would have been embarrassing for me as well as a coach, because to allow them to go ahead and go out there and compete at the level they wanted to compete at, it would have been just like, rep after rep they wouldn't have been able to do it you know and, and just like having somebody that wants to do a marathon I mean don't get me wrong man it's I'm supportive I want people to go out and test themselves but at the same time I don't want to set them up for failure that they're going to feel defeated and never ever want to do yeah. it again you know yeah it's it's ambitious but manageable yeah and, uh, you know because we we get that a lot because I think a lot of people once they start experiencing some level of success they almost underestimate uh the level of challenge associated with the next step up um, you know, we got people who they get interested in doing ultras that are way outside of their capabilities, or they want to do a triathlon that's too long distance, or, you know, they've been squatting high for the last, you know, eight months and want to do a meet. And we don't even know what they can, you know, hit to depth because right. they haven't been giving us the videos that we've been asking for. Yeah. So, you know, it's, there are times when we definitely have to be like, okay, look, you're making great progress. This is outstanding. I'm excited for you, but you know, competition under the set of rules, the last thing you want to do is DNF. The last thing you want to do is get disqualified. So yeah, it's, it's either a case where we try to redirect them towards a competition that's a bit more appropriate yeah, or just, you know, defer and delay and basically say, look, I know you want to do this 50 K next month. Um, but you know, I don't want you after 30 kilometers to end up on the side of the trail and think, okay, I failed. Yeah. And are yeah, most that, of your, yeah, are most of your uh, people, it sounds like you have a good split between endurance athletes and strength athletes that yeah. you're training, Alex. Yeah. What, yeah, what it really you, is. As far as the split goes, I would say it's, it's almost right down the middle. I mean, I would say maybe 15 to 20% dedicated strength athletes, 15 to 20% dedicated endurance athletes, and, you know, whatever the balance is, 60 to 70% of people who do both or do a crossover. We work with a lot of CrossFit, a lot of military 
Um, so a lot of people who almost just by definition have to do both. And, um, you know, a lot of people who are content with their level of proficiency at one and are just focused on building the proficiency with another. So, is that how you, is that kind of what, a, a, I mean, how did you get into being, a, you went from being a strength athlete to being an endurance athlete and then combining them? Or how did that work for you? Uh, poorly. What got you into, I mean, what made you decide to, hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to combine these things. You know, I, I think it was uh, a big part of it, actually, now that, you know, now that I've gone back and thought about it, a big part of it was remembering in, in high school, especially when I played, when I played football, when I played lacrosse, when I played ice hockey, I was like, you know what, I'm strong, I can move myself, I can move my body, I can, you know, play the full game. At what point did I decide that I had to give that up? And uh, I think, you know, being being almost exclusively, you know, powerlifting, quote unquote, even though I wasn't really competing right after college and saying, okay, I've, I've developed this great level of athleticism in one department, but I don't feel like an athlete. What happened? Um, you know, when I, when I got talked into doing that 5k and the day after that 5k uh, signed up for a marathon, there was way too much beer involved. <laughs> Literally we're all sitting there drinking and we all signed up for an online, but um, so you know, putting, putting that together and realizing, okay, you know, this is probably a stupid idea, but this just seems like a fun challenge. You know, it's, um, turning myself inside out to try to get another, you know, pound here and there on my deadlift. That's fun. But, you know, I want to, I want to try something different. That's, that's going to challenge me. That's going to, that I should be bad at. And for a lot of people, that's, that's some of the appeal as well is just being able to kind of thumb their nose at the whole idea that they should be bad at something. Because a lot of a lot of people who get into strength sports and get into endurance sports, honestly, after college, let's admit it, like if they were great athletes, they'd probably still be playing professional something at some point. So most of us who get into this either get into it because we were sedentary and wanted to find something, or we get into it because we've got a competitive streak and we want we like the development process. We like learning, we like growing, we like developing, we like problem solving, we like achieving small victories. And kind of transitioning that to something else has been so, so unique and gratifying in that you can always find something to progress in. I mean, as long as you find something that you're bad at, you will always have an opportunity for victories. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good perspective for sure. <clears throat> cool. So, um, so how does it work? Like if I went on the Complete Human Performance website, um, which is completehumanperformance.com, and I basically – got in touch with, uh, with you or whoever uh, gets the emails. And I say, Hey, uh, I want to, I want to get better at, let's just say, I want to, I want to get better at Olympic weightlifting, but I also want to like, you know, maybe keep my capacity training up. I mean, do you kind of like decide who to assign? Cause I know you got a lot of different coaches on there with that are specialists in various, uh, modalities. So like, would you take a look at that and, or would you interview, like do a online or some kind of an interview and decide who to assign the coach or do I go on there and I decide, okay, I want to, I want Trevor Jaffe to coach me cause he's like the deadlift whisperer and I want to get a good deadlift. I mean, do you, <laughs> how does that work? Yeah. So what we usually do is we get a lot of information in the intake and we think about, okay, what is this, what is this person's objectives for the next six or 12 months? What are the current strengths and weaknesses? What is, which coach is best positioned right now to help them build the, build the most important fundamentals for the first couple months. 
Um, all our coaches use the exact same training software. Uh, we have all our clients managing this program called Training Peaks. And literally, if we want to switch a client from one coach to another, we just drag and drop them from one group to the next. Awesome. So we could say, okay, so we've got eight months to prepare somebody who's a power lifter who wants to do a triathlon. So we'll say, okay, let's look at the state of his powerlifting. When is his first meet? Is he doing a meet this year? If not, we'll get him working with the triathlon coach and we'll have the triathlon coach developing the programming and we'll have somebody like Trevor take a look at his strength programming and kind of just monitor it, keep an eye on it. Because, you know, Trevor will work with our, power, with our triathlon coaches and say, okay, you know, here's how you incorporate a basic maintenance powerlifting routine with triathlon. Mm -hmm. So the tri coach will take point, will take lead, maybe for the first four or five months. Right. Then if the individual has a powerlifting meet come up, we'll switch them to a powerlifting coach for eight mm -hmm. to 12 weeks to peak them for that. And then we can transition them back. So yeah. whether they're both working at the same time or there's kind of a seamless interplay between them. Yeah. It's all, it's all kind of as collaborative and fluid as possible, which, you know, again, opens up a lot of doors. And I think for a lot of clients makes them realize, okay, I'm not pigeonholed into one thing now my objectives can change and this is all going to go depending on my performance. And that's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like you got full service. So you have all those different coaches that you can actually take advantage of. That's, that's yep. good. That's awesome. And what a, I mean, I use, uh, I use Fitbot um, for some clients that come in the gym. I don't really know remote, but they'll come in and do their own stuff. How do you handle in your uh, your software and your coaching practice the act, the nutritional aspect of working with your clients, Alex? You know, we've got a separate nutrition wing. Um, they monitor it, then they they develop it and kind of deliver it the way they want. I think some of them use spreadsheets. Some of them will track using MyFitnessPal, which integrates into training piece we use. So they'll use that to monitor because you know, we may have a client who works with one coach for programming and the other for nutrition, and those coaches will just work together. The programming coach will take a look at what the you know macros are and what the calories are and how the client's feeling um, and, you know, kind of build the programming around that. And the nutrition coach will, you know, basically they'll talk to the programming coach and say, okay, you've got a longer conditioning piece this weekend. Okay. Let's shift the calories over there. So it's, like I said, for most of our coaches, it's done separately. And I'm, you know, each one of the nutrition coaches uses their own way to develop their programs yeah. and deliver it. But, um, the, the whole point, once again, is kind of this integration. You, know, you can't do one without the other. Well, that, yeah, definitely, especially if you're trying to. I mean, that had to be a big aspect of, of you being able to go uh, compete in strength events or actually lift heavy, so 700-pound back squat, and, you know, 5K, marathon, ultra. Um, nutrition has got to be up there on your list of uh, targets. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's huge. I mean, being able to eat enough hasn't really ever been a problem. Um, but I think, you know, being able to being able to eat kind of intelligently and, um, you know, it's it's like anything else. When you when you do more training, when you want to get more training in what you what you do training wise has to become more and more specialized. Uh, when you, when you suddenly find that you need 6,000 calories, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to become a garbage disposal and eat as much as possible. Yeah. But since you need to get so much out of those 6,000 calories, suddenly each one of them counts. Yeah. You know, you can't just sit there and, you know, pound double quarter pounders with cheese because there's so much you're demanding of your system at that point that it's almost got to be even more aware when you get up yeah. to that point, you know, there, there is no room for junk in your programming or in your food. It's gotta be, it's gotta be everything your body needs. No more, no less. 
Well, yeah, at, at that, le- I mean, at that level, you know, little mistakes add up quickly. And, uh, you know, Steve is going to be disappointed to hear that you can't pound quarter pounders with cheese and stuff. So I know he's probably, he's over there laughing right now. Yeah, well, you're breaking my balls about doing main site programming. But, you know, on the hey, other Alex, end is... Alex, he has a keg in his gym, bro. And he bitches and he wonders why, uh, you know, <laughs> he's a hard time sticking to his clean diet. He's got a freaking <laughs> keg. I mean, that's like, you know, come on. What's in Carbs. It? What's in it? Uh, ying, it's yingling. Yeah. Yingling lager. You I know, know you're going to, you're going to make, you're going to, yeah, my, you're going to piss, you're going to piss him off, bro, because he's a uh, brewer. <laughs> he brew, I, I've seen he, he likes to brew. I do. Oh, I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it could be Coors Light. It could, it could be. Uh, I'll give you yingling over Coors Light. So that's okay. Yeah. And it's refreshing. And it's basically, it's basically just hydration at that point. Right. <laughs> right. There you go. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but when we have, you know, like that advanced athletes, right. You know, you're going to, you're talking about, you're going to be really strict with your, um, you know, what you're eating, the quality of your food, especially when you have to get a lot in. And mm-hmm. then on the other end of the spectrum with uh, deconditioned folks or, um, you know, obese folks or, you know, people that are just training for uh, health uh, and appearance, um, getting them to comply with any kind of nutritional thing is, is a tough, tough road to hoe. Do you, do you have that in your practice? Do you, are you worried about some clients uh, with their nutrition or what would you do in that case? You know, and again, I think some of it is kind of, um, you know, I think we're, I don't, I don't want to say fortunate because that sounds wrong, but I think the, the type of athlete, uh, the type of client that tends to seek us out is again, uh, they've already made that decision that this yeah. is something that's important to them, that performance is important and everything else. So uh, we don't, we don't tend to have as many of the clients who are still really struggling with compliance as much. And, um, you know, I think the, the other thing is having control over the programming like that. We can easily work them up to the point that they can be a little more lax on their diet. Right. You know, we're, we're really having trouble getting somebody under a certain number of calories. They've got certain foods that they really want. It's really easy to just up the volume and then basically say, okay, you're giving yourself all this extra food for recovery. Let's leverage it. You know, yeah, so maybe you, you, yeah, you might have a harder time getting uh, people to eat more, right? Whereas yeah. Uh, yeah. with, yeah, that, and okay. so, I mean, it's same psychological thing, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's it's really funny too because we work with a couple of people from endurance backgrounds who are interested in things like powerlifting and you know these are I mean powerlifting is a weight class sport too but you get a lot of people who get kind of inflated ideas of what they can manage at their current body weight. So we say look, you know, you're you're going to have to move up a weight class if you want this. And to those individuals, it's um, you know, somebody who's been a 148 pounds triathlete their whole life and trying to tell them, okay, if you want to compete in 165, you you know, you got to walk around at 165. You can't stay at you know, 155 pounds and expect to be competitive. So you got to get yourself up there. And they still think that, you know, not going over their calories is the bigger victory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I stayed a hundred, a hundred calories under my target. And I'm like, that's, that's not a good thing. We're trying to get you to eat more. A lot of people, I think that, you know, that find endurance sports, um, you know, military is one thing, right. Where you're made to run and you have to go all day and those guys find it. Um, but what, you know, your typical person that I, when I did triathlon back in the day, the typical person found, you know, running or triathlon or multi-sport, uh, as a way to lose weight. So especially the females. And so, you know, that mindset of, you know, eating less and, you know, trying to burn more calories than you take in. And then they just became 
uh, addicted to the sport, they still t- carry those same dietary and nutritional uh, mindsets with them. And yeah. that, as a coach, it's kind of hard to break through that. Yeah. And, you know, what makes it even harder is that for a lot of these sports, <laughs> you know, especially if you look at things like, you know, high school track, which for some of them, maybe they're only experienced with endurance sport in the past. Yeah. Being smaller is better and being lighter is better. And your performance just gets better and better and better. And it, it's hard to objectively tell somebody, okay, we, we can't have you keep losing weight, especially because when they start team training, they get stronger. So they're getting stronger. They're staying light. They're staying fast. And they say, well, why would we ever want to actually be in a surplus? And it's not till you get them there and they realize how much faster their progress is on the strength side of things and how little they're losing on the endurance side of things. But it's, it's hard to break. Um, especially yeah. with people who've spent, you know, maybe 15 years getting their scale from 280 down to 160 and they see it creeping back up and all they can think about in their head was, oh my God, the last time I was 170 was 10 years ago and I was still trying to lose weight. So breaking yeah. that whole, those mental barriers. <clears throat> and that's why, you know, being able to show the, you know, being able to show the achievements in the lifting side of things can be so critical or even looking at objective metrics on the bike, like functional threshold power and saying, look, you're, you're objectively becoming a better athlete, have some faith in the process. But it's like you said, it's, it's a process. It's tough. Yeah. There's a, there's an old, you know, joke uh, in, in triathlon about, you know, a 30 pound overweight um, age group guy will spend $500 on a set of pedals to make his bike, which is only one third of the event. Yep. Uh, five grams lighter, <laughs> but he's walking around, you know, with a spare tire and, yeah. you know, 30 pounds overweight. <laughs> it's like so. There's, there's li- literally no exaggeration. You can see people in the expos before races looking at carbon fiber bottle cages with, you know, their carb up cheeseburger in the other hand. <laughs> and you're like, all right, guys, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's some kind of disconnect here. That's an $80 yeah. bottle cage. It's going to save you two grams. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah. So how did, uh, how did you, how did you come up with this idea of putting the, uh, complete human performance, uh, group together? I mean, when, when did that all, cause I know you had, um, uh, it, it was originally what hybrid athlete it was a hybrid athlete. You're, uh, well, actually hybrid athlete came after when we started complete human performance, we, um, we actually started the company working exclusively with, uh, athletes with disabilities. Gotcha. Uh, really? co-founder. Yeah uh, as an amputee. And uh, we worked a lot with, uh, I mean, some of our first clients were amputees. They were amputee triathletes, amputee, uh, you know, power lifters, mm-hmm. uh, people who wanted to get into adaptive sports. And we kind of grew into the whole hybrid thing. Uh, just because a lot of the training was very similar because when you work with athletes who have inherent imbalances and many of them were coming from backgrounds when they've been injured or they've been coming out of long layoffs due to their whatever injury, in many cases, you know, caused uh, cause limb loss. Mm-hmm. Strength training is such a critical part of the programming, and we actually refined a lot of our a lot of our programming philosophies from this. So when word kind of started to spread that that's you know kind of what we did, the the market kind of led us in the whole hybrid direction. Wow! And, um, you know, writing a book on it, yeah. uh, the book I wrote on it was almost just a kind of collection of articles and ideas that I had sitting around for about three or four years. And yeah. enough people said, hey, we're interested in this. Like, let's, let's talk more about it. That's where we came from. So, you know, it's kind of a case of falling into something because that was yeah. the demand. That's really interesting. I had no idea. That's really yeah. kind of a cool, that's kind of a cool story. 
So how does it, how do you, like, did you kind of handpick like all the coaches and did they apply to you or reach out to you? I mean, how did you, cause you got some really good uh, quality coaches on board, yeah. obviously, but uh, I mean, I'm sure you're, you know, it's, it's kind of got to be a stringent type of uh, process to get on board with you. Um, <laughs> do you look for a different, like, I know you got people, you know, you got, um, you know, powerlifters, endurance athletes, I think is, um, do you have like a, somebody that's in charge of like training teams and stuff like that? Or is it, is it a wide variety? I mean, it is, it's, it's a variety. So, I mean, the biggest thing, and you know, I kind of find this more and more to be true is personality as time goes on, because it's something that's so collaborative. Yeah. You know, you, especially, you know, we're not, we're not a, you know, hundred million dollar company that if, you know, something goes wrong, we could just start paying out benefits. You know, we've, we got to have people who are kind of willing to do a little bit more work, just kind of on the understanding that it's going to benefit them a little later on. And I think that's why kind of a shared vision and a shared personality and a camaraderie is so huge. Um, that's really the first screen. And I've got to say that I probably shouldn't say this because it might encourage people from sending in applications because, you know, we, we get applications constantly. But every coach we've hired, we've actually kind of had in mind that we wanted them on board a good yeah. six months before we actually said anything to them. Um, some, I, I noticed on I noticed on your Facebook you have a, a how to pronounce your name says uh, stop PMing me. <laughs> so you get you get a lot of you get a lot of people looking to coach for you guys. Yeah, we do, we do, and you know I think it's awesome. And you know I again I I love getting a lot of these resumes in because obviously you know these may be people that I already know about or I've seen their stuff or it gets me interested in what they do. And certainly you know as we grow it's always useful, but um, you know for the most part our our longest standing coaches have been either athletes we've trained who then, you know, they, you know, they come to us, they're coaches themselves. They train with us. They learn our methodology. They like it. They embody it. Mm -hmm. uh, then they work with us or they can be, you know, athletes that have worked with other coaches or, you know, one case, um, you know, Nicodemus, our ultra running coach, his, uh, well, his fiance now soon to be wife uh, trained with us for a good six months. And, you know, his coaching chops are obviously fantastic. Yeah. He's still one of the best ultra runners in the world, I would say. But um, his exposure to our methodology meant that he was already very much interested in what we did mm -hmm. and kind of looking to incorporate. And it just seemed like kind of a natural fit. So yeah. it's, it's very much, okay, if you come to us and we want to find somebody who adds something, whether it's, you know, um, a, a brand new skill, a brand new arena, or it's something in their personality or background that says, okay, this person's going to be a good fit and this person's going to make all of us better. Yeah. So, and that's, what, you know, when you, what kind of coach, like, so when you say you have, you know, like somebody who brings a new skill or a new, um, <clears throat> a new dynamic, what would you say you would, you'd be looking for next and like what sport or, or what discipline would you be, um, Oh man! Or, or do you not want to say? <laughs> oh, Mike, Mike, just so you know, Mike is a shake weight specialist. So if you're looking yeah. for something like, uh, you know. In the shake wake area, shake wake area. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is such a growing field, and I think once our ebook on the shake wake comes out, <laughs> yeah. well, the, the actually, actually, I kind of switched back to that the stretchy thing. The, oh, yeah. um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So well, that's excellent. Yeah. And what's good is you can just kind of co-brand that page with Pornhub and you can just yeah. make all the like referral fees. And Dude, your email is going to light up after this podcast <laughs> right now. Because shake weight. Yeah. But I mean, like, like, do you have, I mean, gym, you have obviously endurance and strength coaches. Uh, what about, um, let's say, you know, gymnastics, Olympic weightlifting, 
Um, yeah, so we've got CrossFit specifically. We've got a couple in CrossFit. Uh, we've got one Olympic weightlifting who we just kind of decided to make a bit more formal now. Um, we've got a couple people in military prep. Uh, you know, we've got we actually have a lot of consultants in that area too because we still yeah. have a lot of guys who are active duty who can't really be right. coaches, but we got a lot of information from. Um, the next big thing I'm thinking, honestly, would be well, we're developing our uh, you know combat sports wing. So that's kind of our current big priority. When you say, when you say combat sports, do you mean like military or like BJJ and uh, MMA? MMA, MMA. Yeah. MMA yeah. yeah. Mixed yeah, martial right. arts, the whole thing. Uh, yeah. We got a, a, most of them are actually our, our two main leads there are based over in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and they work with a lot of people in British boxing and things like that. But um, so we're, we're growing that heavily because it, you know, it obviously benefits a lot from what we do. Um, the next thing would really be team sport, but team sport, man, that is such a, that is such a huge field. Uh, there's a lot of, I kind of old guard mentality in it. That's yeah. kind of tough track. Yeah. So, you were talking about yeah, the egos. Yeah, yeah. You were talking about the egos oh, before, but, um, I mean, you know, down here, soccer is huge. So a lot of our youth, you know, they're playing soccer and, and then, and of course, baseball in Florida, right? And yeah. so they have those kids playing the sport probably, you know, 300 out of 365 days a year. And, uh, you know, they're getting paid for that. The coaches are and, and the leagues are. And they don't want to relinquish any of that um, money or control over to any kind of strength and conditioning coach mm -hmm. um, for obvious reasons, right? Although it would probably be much better for these kids. Do you have a, I, I'm sure, you know, if you're thinking about getting into that realm, you've looked at the, uh, you know, the, spec the, the, the one sport athlete or, you know, yeah. the argument between kids should be playing multiple sports and that they should be doing it in season. Can yeah. you give us your take on, on that whole scenario? Well, you know, our, our whole thing in general is talking about how, you know, kind of multidisciplinary training, uh, develops all around superior athleticism, superior durability, longevity, and everything else. So our whole view on you know sport training, especially at a, for youth, is is very much around developing all around athleticism and is very much sticking to the old concept of you know utilizing one sport uh, as recovery from another or as you know uh, kind of I hate this word but like synergistic to the other like complimentary yeah. complimentary yeah everything is about okay you know here we've got this individual we've got this kid who's spending all this time learning one sports skill and learning how to move in a certain sport pattern let's have them do something different you know develop those new movement patterns and, and motor you know keep their mind fresh keep them in a skill acquisition mode and a continuous skill acquisition mode because skill acquisition uh, you know kind of staying flexible in in your learning process that is such a translatable skill yeah you even well, have I mean, yeah. that well like just in high school which was just a couple years ago for me um you know <laughs> I, I i played uh football and ran track and field and yeah. so and that was encouraged you know yeah. that was uh you were in season in one or the other and they complemented each other really well yeah yeah and that, and that's it and you know that's that's one of the things that we always talk to parents about is yeah you know what, what's going to happen to what do you see happening to a lot of these kids who just do one sport year after year after year? You know, a lot of them by their senior year, they're sitting out half a year because they're injured. They did something injured. wrong. And it's, it's frustrating the parents and you tell them, look, you know, we, even as a strength and conditioning coach, we may not have them do another sport, but we're going to help them stay mobile. We're going to help them stay agile. We're going to help address all those things that are deteriorating while they're training for their sport. And because of that, our whole goal is to make them, 
able to enjoy the sport that they love longer. That's it. And, you know, when you tell parents, look, you know, it's, we don't, you you know, your, your football strength coach may tell your, your kid that they shouldn't be doing track or they shouldn't be doing, you know, trail runs or whatever else. And, you know, we'll basically tell them, look, the, the strength coach's objective is to basically get their numbers at the end of that season. Mm -hmm. Our objective is to take care of your kid as an athlete for the rest of their life. And that's, yeah, it's, it's a tough sell, but it is. And you know, the coach, the, that like back to what you were saying before that ego, the coach's ego, you know, he, uh, you know, a football coach or uh, for, for example, he may be a really good football coach, but, and considers himself a good strength and conditioning coach, but that's usually not the case. Mm-hmm. The football coach is uh, good at coaching football, um, and he's just copying what he did when he played for strength and conditioning. Yep. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's basically like saying, look, you know, you, you want your kid to be really stellar in one subject at school. That doesn't mean you pull them out of every other class. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's and it's saying, you know, you're not you want your kid to be really good at this one subject, you know, they want to be really good at math. You're not going to have their math teacher teach all their classes. Right. And yeah, all absolutely. all we're doing is rounding out their development and their learning as as a student, as an individual, as as developing into an adult and developing into an athlete. You know, keep them fresh. So get so now that we're on that team team uh subject and um I've had some experience coaching some, you know, training some teams. Uh, we had a local baseball team, Flanagan High School. Their coach actually reached out to me, and uh, he was interested in uh, having his kids come in. So it was kind of cool because he reached out to me. I wasn't going in and trying to solicit them. Um, so we sat down, we came up with a game plan, and we decided that their kids were going to come to my gym on Mondays and Fridays, and I was going to go out to their field and do field work on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. So these kids were really dedicated, and for 12 weeks we did a program, and it was kind of cool because I did a six-week program. It was actually five-week of deload, and then we did the exact program again, so that way we can test them. And the amount of – it was just amazing how these kids just progressed. And it was mainly because they were learning proper technique, right? Mm-hmm. So we had – I still remember this two twins. I, I literally – their deadlift alone went from like 180 uh, – maybe one, maybe 205 over 300 in, oh, wow. in 12 weeks. Yeah. And it wasn't that they got that much stronger, but then now they learned how to pull off the ground. Yeah. And, you know, these were baseball players. I trained them kids like, like, like hybrid athletes. I trained yeah. them like football players, like track, you know, stars. And literally, we had two kids that broke. I think the one kid ran 57 second, a 50, 58 second, 400 meter dash. You know, or, yeah, uh, yeah, 400 meters in like 57 seconds. 57 yeah, seconds. Minute, it's good. It's pretty amazing, you know. Um, but the, the thing is, I had another situation where I got invited by the uh, quarterback club to go up to another school and talk and talk to their quarter to the uh, it was actually the PTA I think they wanted me to train their kids. Uh, it was a football team up in Coral Springs, and their kids were doing so horribly that they were looking for help. Well, of course, the football coach came in in the meeting and right away he just didn't want, he didn't want to have nothing to do with it. He's like, you know, I've seen guys like you, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, you know, you're treating me like I'm the enemy. I'm here trying to help you. You know, I'm here trying to help your kids get more fit while you should be focusing on getting the kids better skills. And, you know, there's just so much pushback from, from coaches, whether it's high school, college, you know, 
it's uh, yeah it's this it's this possessiveness and i think um it's it's funny because even just talking to my team when it's meant to be kind of a collaborative effort you still see a little bit of that push and pull like yeah. you know the the running coach is looking at the lifting coach saying wait you have to do what for conditioning you know <laughs> there's there's a little bit of that like okay this is this is my turf sort of thing yeah it's and, always going to be that way and, yeah and it, you know it sucks especially with kids because everything with kids like we said is uh, skill acquisition yeah, and yeah. It's, it, you know, it's they're in a flexible phase of their life, and you're keeping it flexible, and you're keeping them learning, and you're keeping them developing. And as soon as you shut down that, you know, multiple skill acquisition and learning in favor of just, you know, continuous refinement of a few skills, it's that's their development shuts down. Yeah, and they're well, that's, well, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's I mean, that, I mean, that, that, that whole thing, that whole thing too, too is, is you know that 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 should that should primary, be primary in in, uh, in the parents' eyes, I think, and the coaches' eyes as well. Because let's face it, what's the percentage, the percentage of people that are going to go on to one, Division One, one or, or uh, you know, a pro- professional level, level, probably. Hey, Mike, I don't know if I don't know if that's your mic, but it it's kind of coming out staticky. How's it now? How's it now? Still staticky. Alex, are you hearing it staticky? Yeah, it sounds staticky to me. Staticky to me. Yeah, it's that's better. Okay, cool. Yeah, you sounded like Darth Vader there for a little while, man. I kind of look like him a little bit when I wear no. my mask. But yeah, what man. I was saying, what I was saying was, you know, that um, the uh, the the likelihood of a kid or you know making it to a high level of athletics is pretty slim. So that the idea that you know they should be well rounded. Um, is pretty obvious. Although, you know, a lot of parents and a lot of coaches will think when they have, you know, some kind of a genetic uh, uh, athlete that they need to be focused on one sport and they want, they get really possessive about it. Yeah. 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 And uh, you know, it's, uh, I can't always, you know, you, you can, you can fault the parents a little bit for, you know, not, not really listening to, you know, what you're saying. Cause all they're hearing is a bunch of voices coming at them. You know, they're, they're hearing that the, the strength coach, the football coach that they trust is telling them one thing. And, you know, it's, they're kind of caught up in this push and pull, um, you know, with all these different quote unquote experts kind of firing off, mm. firing off ideas at them. And you start to think, well, I, you know, I wouldn't even know who to listen to either. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's, it's gratifying sometimes to see, uh, you know, articles coming out by pretty respected coaches and, you know, studies showing the you know, yeah. advantage and, you know, looking at like, what is, you know, what was the high school athletic history of, you know, all the division one or all the, uh, you know, NFL starters, yeah. you know, how many different sports are they playing? You start to see that data and you go, well, this is the kind of stuff we should be really trying to convey uh, to parents as much as possible, but you're still, you still hit walls. Yeah. That, that article just came out not too long. I don't remember where it was that I saw it, but it was a study of um, uh, pro football players, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of showed it w- actually, what did they, play prior to that you know what was their athletic background and very few if any were um you know single discipline sports they played a variety of sports we we actually had uh just uh he walked out he was a cam stewart uh he was training in our gym for a while he was a minor league pitcher with the san diego padres and uh basically blew out his elbow he needed tommy john surgery um Mm. one of the cool things i guess when you're you know on a, a pro baseball team like the Padres, uh, part of your contract is that if you get cut for an injury, then they provide you with college tuition to your choice of place to go. He walked on to uh, Alabama. This is a six foot six, 255 pound uh, baseball player, 21 years old, walked on to Alabama 
uh, as a tight end. He's in his sophomore year right now. But he played he played basketball. He played football. Oh, well, he never played football, which is another crazy part of the story. But he played basketball and baseball. And he's just a genetic, you know, he's just a big kid and very athletic, very genetic. He's got like a 36-inch vert at that at 6'5", 255. Mm. Um, and, so, you know, somebody like that, that, you know, they can pretty much do whatever they want. Whereas, you know, the 165-pound defensive back who, you know, has got a 28-inch vertical and, you know, he's not really going places. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as the as the ultimate, um, you know, pretty much barely starter for every sport I played in high school, I can definitely attest to that. <laughs> yes, I was giving myself as the event, as yeah. the example of the D back. <laughs> yeah, kind of funny, but you you it, you know to see some of the all those guys that were starters that were badasses back then. They're they're probably uh, full blown alcoholics or obese or sitting on a couch. <laughs> you know, it's like I think sometimes. Yeah, it's it's better for not not being an incredible athlete in high school, college, whatever, because you know you still always got that hunger even as you age. You know you always still want to be good and you always want to be fit. And that's it, know. man. That's that's where so much of this whole approach that we got here came from. It's yeah. staying hungry because you find so many things that you're just not good at. Yeah, and you, you just drive. Yeah, you hate being bad at things, and you know, okay, you know what? Here's something new I can try. I don't have to be the best in the world at it, but I want to be good at it. Yeah. Like all those, yeah, all those bullies that kicked my ass when I was in grade school, I guarantee if I ran across them now, I'd kick all their asses. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe most of them. <laughs> most of them. You never know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So cool, man. This was definitely a really good podcast. We like to try to keep them around an hour, so we're pretty yeah. much there. Um, Sounds good know, to me. One of the things I wanted to talk or wanted to add is uh, if, you, if you want to get in touch with um, Alex, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Through your website? Yeah, website's just got a contact form. We're going to put a live chat up there pretty soon, which means I'm going to spend my life on my phone chatting. (laughs) But yeah, that's always the best. You know, social media and all that is a a great way to have discussions, but not a good way to reach anybody. So hit me up on the website and we'll talk. Yeah, Yeah. definitely, man. So you're out in uh, California now, correct? Yeah, yeah, living in San Diego. You nice. know, it's, um, I'm going to miss seasons. Yeah. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, uh, being about an hour, well, actually 20 minutes from mountains and about 30 minutes from the beach is pretty cool. That's yeah. gotta be awesome. I, I yeah. was stationed, I was stationed out there, man. And just the other, it was so humid here the other day in Florida that I was like, man, I should move to San Diego, man. Yeah, you <laughs> same all the time. I was out there for like four or five years, man. It's just beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm really starting to love it. It hasn't taken that long. So I, I can't speak to the drivers. Oh, but oh man, traffic is horrible. Oh, it doesn't have to be either. I don't know. It's just this blend of complete obliviousness and aggressiveness that is just a bad combination. But really, that's California. Now Miramar is out there, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Because uh, my 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 old partner from when I was a cop, his brother uh, was a colonel, and uh, he was uh, stationed out of there. He actually was in charge, uh, from what I understand. Um, he was. Uh, you know, he, he loved it out there. Oh, yeah, that's a big, big, giant military community in San Diego, yeah. Navy, Navy yeah. Marines, you know. Huge. So I, I got some good fun. gyms out there, too, man. I mean, you yeah. you got to be in demand. I mean, Jesus, I wish you lived down here. I'd have you at my gym all the time, freaking teaching seminars and clinics and training and stuff like that. 
He'll make it over, man. Anytime. Yeah, we we got to do that. I mean, I see Trevor. Trevor trains out of our facility a lot, you know. Yeah. And, um, he's actually program designing for my wife, uh, doing a powerlifting competition. I nice. I'm coming up. He's been doing really well, breaking some cool. records. So, excellent. You know, like hearing that. Good stuff. So, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks for your yeah, time. And uh, absolutely, we'll probably uh, have to reach out to you in the future. Maybe have you on again because I think there's a lot of more material. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, anytime you guys want to talk like programming specifics, I know that's that's probably more boring for ninety percent of listeners, but the other ten percent would be like, "All right, this I can get into." So yeah, we were well, we we were talking about doing like a Q and A, you know, bringing experts like yourself on and just do a Q and A based on one subject alone. So maybe you could do that with uh, programming, like how you approach programming. Let's do it. That'd be awesome. Awesome. Real good talking to you, Alex. I appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Good check, guys. Guys, thanks. Have a good day. Take care. Likewise. Take it easy.